Singing in church, bringing the gospel to the English, saying God bless you after a sneeze. Where did all this come from? One man, Gregory the Great. Before we tell the story of Gregory the Great, let's look at how the church is structured at this point in our series. When the church started, Rome was the greatest empire that had ever existed. The church grew very quickly, even though it was attacked and the men and the women were killed. But under Constantine, the church was given the permission to worship openly and was even given special status. By this time, the church had grown so large, it was covering all of Rome and even beyond its borders. The church over time had started to build a structure to keep the church following doctrine. They patterned their structure after Rome because this was the structure that they knew. Rome had local men who oversaw the small towns. The church had priests in the local church. Rome had governors that oversaw cities. The church had bishops that oversaw the churches in each city. Rome had an emperor that ruled over all of Rome, so the church eventually had a pope, which oversaw all of the churches. There was some disagreement in the church as to the idea of a pope. Eventually, over time, the bishop in Rome was the bishop that most churches looked to for guidance. And so, organically, the Bishop of Rome became the Pope. Pope means literally Papa or Father. The Bishop of Rome was supposed to lead and guide the bishops of the other cities, who then gave guidance to the priests in their cities, and the priest gave guidance to the people. It's not actually clear who the first Pope was. The Catholic Church today says Peter was the first Pope, because he was the one who led the church in Rome. But he, of course, never used the term Pope. Leo I was probably the first one to use the term Pope, but some people say Gregory the Great was the first real Pope. Either way, Gregory was one of the first bishops of Rome to be called the Pope, and as Rome was falling, it was essential to the survival of the people that someone lead them. The emperor was no longer leading them, and so the people looked to the church, and the bishop of Rome became to them more like an emperor. Here is the story of how Gregory the Great became the leader of not only the church, but of Rome. Gregory was born to wealthy parents. He was one of the noble Romans. He was extremely well-educated and was given all the benefits of living a noble life. Gregory went on to law school. Although Gregory had a very privileged upbringing, it was not one without turmoil. The Goths actually attacked Italy where he lived on a fairly regular basis. There always seemed to be war and there was never really any certainty. In Gregory's first 20 years of life, there was six wars in Italy. Gregory got a job as a government official, and he was one of the highest ranking in the government. But then Gregory's family made a huge change. His father walked away from his life of nobility 
and instead went into ministry. Gregory was deeply affected by seeing his father sacrifice everything to serve God. When his father died, Gregory had to care for his mother and his sisters. He decided to follow in his father's footsteps. He walked away from law and from his government position and moved into his family's property. They owned seven farms. He turned all of them into monasteries and allowed monks to live there and train for the ministry. His sisters also became nuns. Around this time, a group of barbarians called the Landards attacked Italy and burned a bunch of monasteries to the ground. Gregory allowed the monks from Benedict's monastery come and live with him at St. Andrews. These monks had a huge influence on Gregory, and the biggest influence was the idea you must obey the voice of God immediately. So when the Bishop of Rome, or the Pope, as some people were using that term, asked Gregory to move to Constantinople to be the ambassador for the Pope, he felt he had no choice. He must say yes immediately. When Gregory arrived at Constantinople, he met a group of people. They believed Jesus did not really rise again, that it was just a spiritual resurrection and not a real one. Gregory was very angry at this false doctrine, and he began to debate them. Because of Gregory's very good lawyer skills, and because he had truth on his side, he defeated them easily. Then, Rome was hit with a huge earthquake. Many people died. The farmlands were destroyed. Then, there was a flood that came, and it destroyed all of the crops again. Years without crops left people starving. Then rats started flooding into Rome and brought with them the bubonic plague. The Pope then called Gregory to come to Rome. When Gregory entered Rome, he saw the effects of the large earthquakes, the remains of the damage from the flood, the starving people from the famine, and the dead from the bubonic plague. On top of that, soldiers were everywhere, preparing for attacks that seemed to be coming on a regular basis from the barbarians. Gregory thought about the words from Jesus in Mark chapter 13. There will be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, floods, famines, and sickness, and then I will return. Gregory believed that Jesus would return at any moment, so he preached that everyone must repent and get their hearts right with God immediately. He had a heart for the lost, and he didn't want to see anyone lost. But this idea and this great heart that he had for the lost led to a strange thing. One day, as he was walking along, he saw a statue of Trojan. Remember, Trojan was the pagan leader of Rome who had died many years ago. Gregory just couldn't stand the idea of this man not being in heaven. He prayed that God would forgive Trojan of his sin and allow him into heaven. That night he had a dream that God answered his prayers, forgave Trojan for his sins, and allowed him to enter heaven. And the idea of praying for the dead had entered the church. On another day, his heart for people and wanting them to be in heaven led to a mission that changed history and affects us here in North America today. Gregory was walking through a slave market. Now we have to remember that the slave trade was part of the culture at this time. 
and was actually an upgrade from what Rome had done previously. In the past, when Rome had gone to war, they would take the captives and kill them in a gruesome way and leave their dead bodies out for people to see and therefore fear the Romans. That practice had stopped, and instead they now sold the captives as slaves. As Gregory was walking through the market, he saw a large group of new slaves. He had never seen anyone who looked like these people before. They had yellow hair and bare skin. Gregory thought they looked like what he imagined angels would look like. He went to the slaves to speak to them. Who are you? We are Angles. Where are you from? We were taken from Britain. You are as fair as angels. It is not right that someone as angelic as you does not know the Christian faith. I will leave and go to Britain and tell the Angles about the Christian faith. And that was when he decided he would go to Britain to bring Christianity to the Angles. But before he could do that, tragedy struck. The Bishop of Rome became ill with the bubonic plague and he died. The church then called on Gregory to be the Bishop of Rome and in that, the Pope of the church. Gregory did not want this job, but the influence of the monks still stuck with him. He felt he had no choice but to abandon his mission to Britain and to take the Bishop of Rome and in doing that, become the Pope. The Emperor of Rome had left the city and the city was in despair. There was no leader. The earthquake, the flood, the famine had destroyed the city. The bubonic plague was leaving mass casualties and the Lombards were attacking the city. It was not a great time to be the one man everyone was looking to for answers. So to start, Gregory went to see the Lambdards. He offered to pay them money from the church if they would leave Rome. They agreed to leave, and one problem was solved. He then hired the Rusty's workers. These were the men today we would call blue-collar workers. He had the Rusty's come into the church, and he got their advice on how they could get Rome back in shape. He used their advice instead of the nobles who had spent their whole life living in comfort. He then hired the Rusties to help work at fixing up buildings. The Rusties are where we get our word rustic from today. Then there was the problem of the plague. Gregory thought there was only one thing that was going to solve this problem, and that was a miracle. A physician said that the start of the plague was sneezing. If someone was sneezing, they would probably be getting the plague very soon. Gregory sent a letter to all the bishops, who then sent the letter to all the priests, who then read the letter to all the people. From that day on, whenever you saw anyone sneeze, you would immediately pray for them and pray a blessing over them. The church started this practice immediately, and it's still part of our church culture today. We say, God bless you, or sometimes just simply, bless you, whenever we hear a sneeze. But Gregory wanted to do something even more powerful. He told the churches to gather all of their people and walk in a line praying. Each church would march to the center of Rome, and as they marched, they would pray that God would send a miracle and take the plague away. They met then in the center of the town, and all of the Christians prayed together. 
That was in the year 590, the same year that the plague left Rome. Gregory also decided he wanted to have more order to the church services. Most of what he set up is still used in the Catholic churches today as their mass. One thing he added to the church was singing in harmony. He loved music, and he loved the sound of harmony. He created a whole new music style, and today we call this style the Gregorian chants. But Gregory never forgot about the call he had felt that day in the slave market, and he wanted to reach the Angles people. By this time, the Angles had taken over Britain and had changed the name to Angleland. Today we pronounce it England. Gregory called a man named Augustine to come and help with his mission. Now this was not the same Augustine from our last episode. We're talking about a completely different man with the same name. Augustine took 40 monks with him and they set out for England to bring the Christian faith to the Angles. As the group traveled toward England, they heard horror stories of the English. They seemed unreal in the evil that they put on people. They were violent and so uncultured and almost inhuman. The group wondered if it was pointless to even try and reach them. They sent letters to Gregory begging him to let them return and call off this mission that seemed most likely to end in their deaths. But Gregory refused to let them return. What the monks didn't know was that God had already prepared a path for them. The king of England had married Bertha and she was a Christian. The king had given her a little chapel and she went there regularly to say her prayers. The king heard the monks were coming and he was interested to hear what they had to say. So in the year 597, the monks landed and the king was waiting for them. The monks marched towards the king holding a banner. They then preached the entire story of the gospel to him. The king decided it was a good message and the people of England needed to hear it. Bertha gave Augustine a castle and a chapel. This eventually became the great cathedral of Cattenbury. The monks wrote back to Gregory of their great reception and he was very pleased. However, Gregory gave them some very bad advice. He told them to make sure to allow the Angles to keep all their pagan customs and to make the transition to Christianity as easy as possible. This is not the gospel message. Jesus said to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. The apostles had preached and thousands had turned to Jesus and literally gave up their lives. But the monks agreed to follow Gregory's advice. Like Constantine had done in Rome, the pagan worship was merged into the England church. Ashtar was changed to Easter, and the Christmas was celebrated when the pagans celebrated Yuletide. Mistletoe was hung in the new churches, and the days of the weeks, which were named after pagan gods, all stayed the same. The pagan priests became Christian priests, and the pagan temples turned into churches, and the Church of England was created. But had the gospel really come to England? Or would it be many years before the true, life-changing, sacrifice-everything gospel would make its way to the English-speaking, yellow-haired, pale people? During this time, a man named Mohammed was born, and we're going to talk about that man in our next episode. To make sure you don't miss that episode, 
you need to subscribe. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, I would love to help out. For more information about that or to hear more podcast videos and blogs, go to laurelaysiemens.com. 